Okay, very good. Let me pray for us that this word would come alive. Uh, Father, I thank you for uh, the good work that you're doing in, in people's lives. I thank you for people that are understanding this free gift of salvation and wanting to receive it, and not just receive it and continue along their way, but to truly be Jesus' followers, to get off the throne and to put you on the throne of their lives. And Lord, so much of what we're talking about this morning is in regard to that. Lord, I don't want to mess up your word. So as always, the words that come out of my mouth and out of my mind that are in the flesh, may they just fall to the ground quickly and be forgotten. But may your word challenge us and change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is our last week with Philippians in this Press On series, which if no one else has enjoyed, I personally have enjoyed. So next week, we're going to walk through a, um, you can't really see it on here, but we've got a table on our logo, okay? And it doesn't look like it, but really you'll see, you know, moving forward in the next 13 weeks, there's four legs to that table, And on the top of the table is the gospel. And we're going to walk through and explain why we have a table and what those four legs represent. And we're going to be doing that for the next 13 weeks. And while we're doing that, um, Johnson City Redstone is going to be doing the same thing. Okay, so that actually begins next week. But right now we're finishing up the book of Philippians. Okay, and we said, you know, Philippians is about standing in the Lord no matter what. And we said there's four ways in chapter four that we're seeing that you stand firm in the Lord. The first one, remember, was that we reconcile with other believers. The one um, that, that was just a challenging you know, chapter where these two believers were at odds. And Paul says, if you all don't agree with one another in the Lord, the church will fall apart. So reconciling with one another in the Lord. The second one we talked about um, last week is rejoicing in the Lord always and renewing your minds regularly, okay? And then this week we are going to jump in why we are standing firm by reviving others through a life of contentment and generosity. But what we're going to do is we're probably going to start with generosity and then work our way backward. So sometimes I'll give you four or five uh, truths or points. Today, I'm going to give you three aspirations. Aspiration means things that we desire to become that we may not be there yet. I actually put a fourth one in the worship guide for you. Uh, The fourth one we're not going to cover, so that one's a free one and that one is a bonus one. So you're also going to get a couple of uh, big ideas and big questions, but I want to leave you with these three aspirations. Okay, are we ready? Somebody say yes. Okay, very good. So here's our four, reconcile, rejoice, renewing, and reviving by being content and generous. And now let's go back to Philippians 4.10. This is what Paul says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, there's that word twice, for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul begins this section He's now rejoicing in the Lord. So last week he told us, he said it twice, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And now Paul is, is looking in, at the church and saying, hey, I'm rejoicing because of what I'm seeing in you. Paul is, is saying, you have revived me personally because you had concern for me. Paul had revived the church at Philippi. If you'll remember, uh, Jeremiah told us by sending Epaphroditus, 
and by sending Timothy to them to refresh them and renew them, okay, and then the church has turned around and now they have refreshed Paul himself and he is rejoicing because of that, okay? So what we're going to see in this passage is that the way that he is being revived was through a generous financial gift that they had sent in order to take care of his needs, okay? So when I first looked at that on my concern, concern, my first question to me personally was, and I, I you know, give it to you as well, is what Christian do I have a relationship with that I am truly and prayerfully concerned for? Do I have someone that I'm truly concerned for? Thoughts about this person, this missionary, or this organization, it kind of plagues me, and I can't get it out of my mind. I mean, obviously, this takes us back to the fact that we should be a caring body. We don't just come together on Sunday mornings, but we're doing life together. We're getting to know one another um, we we're showing concern for one another. Scripture says that we rejoice with those who rejoice and that we are to weep with those who weep. And it even goes so far as to say that we carry one another's burdens and in doing so, we fulfill uh, the law of Christ. So showing concern should be natural, okay? And then the second question when I see this word is, as pastor, is there a missionary or are there missionaries, or is there um, a ministry partner that we at Redstone Church Elizabethan are or should be concerned for? Okay, we're not there yet. We started, and we got on our tracks, and we started moving forward. COVID hit. That was a little different. We went online. We're back now, so we're a little behind on some of the things we're wanting to do. But I mentioned Luke as he was walking out the door a moment ago. So Luke is going to be leading our missions team. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify individuals and organizations that we're connected to that have similar, similar gospel aspirations that what we do, and we want to walk with them. Uh, we want to support them. You'll see in a moment, we want to have a partnership with them. So just know that that's there, and that's something that we're talking about. We talked about it at an elder meeting this week. You know, we, we've had some conversations with Luke over the past week. So at some point in time, we're going to identify these individuals and these organizations and we're going to present them to you and say, we must have concern for these people. We must pray for them. They're going to pray for us, and we must stay with them on their journey. Okay, now we're going to jump over verses 11 through 13 because I want to stay with this theme of giving. So let's go back and let's look at verse number 14 or jump ahead and look at verse number 14. It's a simple word that jumped off the page at me, but Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you. So if we go back and if we look at the love chapter, which is in 1 Corinthians 13, we read that love is patient. And then what is next? Love is kind. When you love people, when you have concern for people, there's a kindness that comes out. Galatians 5 shows the fruits of the Spirit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But in the middle of that also is this word kindness. Kindness. Love from above is laced with 
kindness. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, now when I say fruits of the Spirit, that means the fruits that when we are abiding in Jesus and He's abiding in us, it's the fruits that He produces. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is that we will be kind people. And if we're not being kind people, then we are not abiding in the vine. But very specifically, I want us to see that one of the ways that we can be kind as believers is by being generous and caring for other people and more specifically, caring for missionaries and ministry partners. Let's go on. Verse number 15 and 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. You only once and again. I love the fact that the church of Philippi was the first church to enter into a partnership with Paul. And it wasn't like, hey, we wrote you this check. Here it is. Did we spell it right? That's Paul, P-A-U-L, right? Okay, well, very good. Go on your way. It wasn't like that. It was once and again. Um, it wasn't just a one-time gift. It was a partnership, okay? And, and we desire the same thing at Redstone Church. So this is what I was saying earlier. We want to not only identify individuals and organizations, but we want to stay with them and support them and pray with them and pray for them and even go visit them as part of a partnership. And partnership goes both ways because we expect that they will do the same for us and partnership entails a commitment to them. Okay, so that's just sharing a little bit of the heartbeat of who we're wanting to be um, at Redstone Church. And when Redstone Church Elizabethan first started, Tri-Cities Baptist Church, I give them credit. Um, Tri-Cities is the big church, like you're going toward, um, I guess, Kingsport, and it's right before you get the gray, and it's over on the left. It looks like a school. Tri-Cities Baptist Church reached out to us pretty quickly, and they said, hey, we love what you're doing. You know, we, we wish that we had a heart to kind of step into Carter County, South Johnson City, Elizabethan. We don't, but we have been praying that someone else would, and we love the fact that you're doing that. How can we pray for you guys? How can we support you? And they did. They began to support us financially, and even over the past two weeks, they've reached out and said, what are ways that we can come along the side of you guys and help you, help you out? So it's kind of like what the church of Philippi had done with Paul. That's what Tri-Cities Baptist has done with us. And I want us to be that kind of church as well, which leads to aspiration number one. You have this in your worship guide if you want to fill in some blanks. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. Aspiration number one is that as we truly grasp the magnitude of the gospel, Redstone Church Elizabethan, will collectively become a kind, generous, and look at this next word I threw together, and first to and always looking for opportunities to give, man, kind of church. That's what we desire. We will not do that unless God does a major work in our hearts. First two and always looking for opportunities to give kind of church. That's aspiration number one. Here's big question number one, which is not in your worship guide. As a part of this church body, for those of you that are members and regular attenders, do you give regularly to the church so that the works of the kingdom can be accomplished? 
It's a simple question, but it's, it's a big question. Okay, I'll leave that with you for now. We'll come back to that later. Okay, let's continue with our passage. Look at verses 17 through 18. And Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, and it's a sacrifice. So you, you had to give of yourself. You know, you, it, a sacrifice doesn't happen unless you're giving up something else to give this thing. So it was a sacrifice, and he says that it's acceptable and it's pleasing to God. And Paul is saying, it's not the gift that brought joy to me. That's not what I'm rejoicing in and the fact that you were able to meet my needs. Um, and the reason that Paul can say that, we're going to go back to in a few moments when we go back and look at verses 11 through 13. But it was the fact that he could see the gospel working itself out in the church because they were becoming kind. They were becoming generous. They were giving sacrificially, which is how God, through the gospel, gave to us abundantly and sacrificially. And Jesus says in John 15, 8, but this is my Father, in, in this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And if you do so, you prove to be my disciples. It's as we're able to bear fruit, we can show that Jesus has truly changed us. And if we do that, that gift will be acceptable and pleasing to Creator God. I want that. And Paul's looking at the church of Philippi and he's saying, remember Philippians 1.6, God began a good work in you. He'll continue it until the day that Christ comes back for you. Right? He'll bring it to completion, and I can see that this work is being done in you because you are becoming kind, compassionate, sacrificial, and you are becoming generous. So Redstone Elizabethan is to be a church of disciples that are making disciples. And, and I've said we went through this Jesus you know, follow, follow Me series, uh, you know, Follow Jesus series, and, and, and I said that yeah, being a disciple is nothing more than just being obedient and worshipful to and following Jesus. And being a disciple maker is bringing someone along with you as you are on your journey. Okay, Watching Jesus change them as He's changing you. And the thing that we rejoice in is when we see that Jesus is changing them as these people are producing fruits and generosity and kindness, those are fruits of the Spirit. And one of my responsibilities as pastor of this church is to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, but that includes things that relate to money and that relate to giving and to encourage you to check your hearts and our hearts to see has the gospel really taken root in our lives to the degree that His fruits are evident not just how we handle disagreements with one another, you know, not just how we handle in-laws, not just how we handle maybe our time, but how we handle money as well. Which leads to aspiration number two. Aspiration number two is that each Jesus follower at Redstone Church would see the connection 
between their walk, which includes me, our walk, with Jesus and our generosity. Okay, filling in blanks, leave that there for a moment. But while it's there, I'm going to ask another big question. So big question number two is, do you consider yourself a generous person when it comes to your finances and giving? Okay, when I say your finances and giving, there's like a little kind of a quote thing there going on there, or what's the single, it's not a quote. Sam, what is it when it's got one instead of two? It's not a quote, anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're in grammar mode here, and English teachers are asleep. So anyway, so um, it's because it's not your money, you know, and it's not my money, um, but would people, you know, would you consider yourself generous? And then the second question would be, okay, forget you, would other people that know you and walk with you, would they consider you to be generous? Well, here's a big idea. This is like big idea number one. What would it look like if we, families, people, if we used the same amount of energy and thinking and planning and saving to put away money to help a missionary or mission organization or someone in need, a family in need, that we do to prepare for the next vacation or to accomplish the next house project or to purchase the next car. I mean, what would that look like if the gospel was so formed within us that not only could we see it, but other people could see that we're understanding what we talked about three or four weeks ago, that our citizenship is not here. We're sojourners, sojourners. We are, you know, nomads. We're, we're coming through as pilgrims, but our citizenship is in heaven. So we're not clinging to things in this world to, to bring satisfaction to us. We, we're thankful for them, but we want to be good stewards because they're coming from God and we want to make sure that we're givers while we're here because we know that we can't take it with us, which we will look at in a moment. But what would that look like? And I believe that God wants that for each of us. You know, Paul is not saying that if you will do that, you know, then you're going to have great wealth. Okay, so let's continue with this thought. Philippians 4.19, look what he says. He says, you know, when we're seeking first the kingdom of God, you know, you know that passage in Matthew 6.33, when you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know, you're putting other people's needs ahead of yours, okay? And when you do that, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I was preparing this, and I kind of have this, you know, in my notes, that I think I can show from Scripture that I, I think that I, I can show from Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that probably a minimum of 10% of what you make should give, go to the church. I think I can show that. You know, I'd love to have that conversation. Let's kind of look at some passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament and see what it looks like, you know, from God's perspective as far as giving is concerned. The problem with that is if you just you know, stick on that 10% and if you're like just giving your 10% or what have you, it can become legalistic. Okay, so I don't want that, and that's not the point of our sermon today, and this is not even about, you know, money for Redstone Church. This is about the fruit, the fruit that God is changing in our hearts, and we are becoming kinder, and the kindness is also shown in our generosity, okay? But I, but I think I can show that, 
And one of these days, maybe we'll have a sermon series on that. But God says, if you are giving, I'm going to meet your needs. Now, what he's not saying here is what prosperity gospel teachers would want you to believe. And unfortunately, if you turn on your TV and other countries all around the world that are tuning into American evangelists and listening to what they're saying, oftentimes you're going to hear this message that the more you give, God will bring wealth to you and he will bring health to you. And I'm saying this from the pulpit before God and you that it is a lie from the pit of hell. I can't say it any stronger than that. Okay? I don't normally um, throw a Netflix documentary out to you to say, hey, here's something you need to, to watch. But there is one. Make note of it. It's called American Gospel. The American Gospel. Go to Netflix. It'll be the best two hours that you've spent in a long time because they will clearly walk you through what Scripture says and what the Gospel is And then they'll show lie after lie after lie that's come from prosperity teachers. Again, there's like this little rabbit trail. I'm almost halfway down it. I want to come right back. Okay, it's kind of like 10%. Let's not go there, but it's there. Okay, but I want to make sure that you're, you're not misunderstanding this passage. So let's look at this passage. He says, every need of yours. Matthew 6, 13, that we know as a part of the Lord's Prayer says... And give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Give us what we need to live on. If you look at the Old Testament, you see that God gave manna for one day at a time. If you tried to collect enough manna for two days, it would go stale and be moldy and it would be gross. Like, no, you trust me today, tomorrow is a figment of your imagination. You wake up tomorrow, trust me that day, one day at a time. Okay, But if we're able to do that and Christ is formed in us and we're, our needs are being met, but we're also taking part of what he's given to us and we're setting it aside to give to other people, this passage says that that gift is acceptable and pleasing to God. And I want that. And I admit as pastor that that has not been fully formed out in my life. I literally which is ridiculous. I get up oftentimes and I go on these prayer walks. If you know me, you just that's how I walk. Knee replacement, I don't go to my knees because it hurts. So I go walking and I pray and I'll be like walking in the neighborhood and I'm talking to the Lord. It's a good, good moment. And I kind of look up and I see the back of our house and I'm like, oh, you know what we ought to do? We ought to like take the deck and move it around to the other side and like, da, 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 da. And I go through this whole thing and I'm in this for like three or four minutes. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm so sorry, Lord. Did you see that? How quickly my heart was wandering to something that just doesn't matter. And I don't do that every once in a while. I do that a lot. And, and I have to just stop. And my prayers have become so honest with the Lord. And I was like, Lord, just like that. My heart can be drawn to something else because that that shiny thing is somehow going to satisfy me. It's going to bring me peace and contentment. If we could just do one more thing or that perfect vacation, or maybe it's two weeks of vacation, or maybe that truck, you know, that would do it. Or Mitch, that motorcycle, you know, whatever it is, you know, we, we do that. And our hearts are drawn because our hearts are, I think it was Tim Keller, it may not have been, it may have been Martin Luther that said our hearts are idle 
factories. Was that Calvin? Doesn't matter. Okay, let's continue. Jerry's on rabbit trails. 11, that is, that says Philippians 111 through 13. <clears throat> let's not go all the way to 111. Let's just go to 11 today. We'll get to 111 on another day. Okay, let's read it together. I thought I'd double checked this, but I guess I did not. Not that I am speaking of being in need, but look what Paul says. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here it is. It's one of those power verses. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Okay. Holy moly, what a passage. And this is just a great passage. I encourage you if you're like, I'm just not tracking with you and it's like happening too fast. Just go sit on it for a while. Take it home. Don't read anything else this week. Just go hang out in Philippians chapter 4 and just do it prayerfully and allow the Lord to show you things that maybe that you're not seeing right now because that's, that's kind of what happened to me over the past few weeks. Whatever situation to be content. Whatever situation. Remember last week when we talked about, you know, and um, um, don't be anxious about anything? You know, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will be, it passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Every situation, you're not to be anxious, just give it to the Lord. Why is that? How is that? Well, all of this ties together. Philippians 4, you, know, you, can't, you can't go to last week's sermon without it you know, impacting this week's sermon. And, you know, chapter 3 and chapter 2, chapter 1, and it goes back to, you know, verse number 6 in chapter 1, he says, you know, God has began a good work in you. He's going to bring it to completion. And you're seeing this growth even in Paul, okay? I remember, well, first off, let's just look at this, the definition. This is Jerry's short definition. As I, as I went, look at Greek and tried to pull and see, you know, what it's being said. There's, there's longer definitions, but here it is. Content means sufficient, having enough, being satisfied. Okay, so if we really understand, well, what does he mean by content? Sufficient, having enough, and satisfied. But I remember when um, both of my kids got married, okay? So Kyler's back in the back, and she married Evan. We all know Evan. Uh, Caleb's actually with us today. So this is my son right here on the front middle. And his wife, Victoria, is in the big city of Hazard, Kentucky today, so she could not be here. Um, but I remember, like, at both of their weddings, at the end of the wedding night, when it was all said and done, and everyone had left except for a few of us, I felt three things, okay? Here's what they are. I felt tired. <laughs> I felt broke. And I felt content. All rolled in together. Satisfied. It was good. It was enough. It was, it's just hard to explain what that is when you're just like, I want to, whatever this is that just happened, I just want to sit in it for a while. I don't want to get up out of this because this is good enough. It was like that. It was just beautiful. And I was like, oh, so this is what contentment looks like. And that's happened several times in my life. I mean, we've had some family events and whether we're at IHOP or sitting around a fire or whatever, and it's just magic, whether it be, you know, food, drink, dance, you know, we don't dance, but whatever, you know, joke telling, you know, but at the end of the night, it's like, ah, oh, I don't want to go to bed. Let's just sit in this for a while. 
okay? No matter what else is happening in our life, whether we're broke, whether we have physical ailments, you know, whatever's happening, there can still be a contentment, you know? So friends, understand this, you know, contentment does not mean that you will not have pain or you will not have difficulty. It means that you can be sufficient, having enough, satisfied, content, even in the midst of difficulty. And Paul is writing this in this letter from prison. And even in prison, he says, I can still be content. And a lot of you look at that and read these things, you're like, yeah, but that's Paul. I could never, ever, ever be like that. Okay, Let, this is the, you know, the key. He says, I have learned. He says it twice in the short passage. He says, I have learned. It wasn't something that he learned on day one. It's, it's, you know, in fact, you go back and you look at, you know, Paul's life. We can see a glimpse that there was a time um, that Paul was a little high strung. Now, I'm not taking John Mark with me on this missionary journey. The guy messed up one time. But later he says, send John Mark to me. This guy's been helpful in ministry. So even Paul grew in his understanding of the gospel and how it worked itself out in his life, but he learned it over time. Okay? So this is a great passage. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and godly lives. It trains us. So the grace of God trains us. Or here's another one. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, the Word of God, is God-breathed, okay, and it's profitable for teaching, which is what we're doing this morning, for correction and for training in righteousness. Teaching. Training. It's something that happens over time. You didn't just sit down one day in Jennifer's class and learn your multiplication tables. You didn't just sit down at a piano you know, Becca, and just start playing. It doesn't happen that way. You know, you, you don't just you know, step into whether it be musical instrument, you know, or baking or driving a car and you just master it in one day. It takes training. And as we study the scriptures, pray to the Lord, ask how do I apply the gospel in this situation, we begin to develop eternal perspective. And as we develop eternal perspective, the Lord Jesus, you know, is working himself out and forming himself within us, and we too can learn to be content, sufficient, having enough and satisfied no matter what. Now, there's another good verse. I don't know, I can't remember if I put this in your, in your guide or not, um, but if I did not, you ought to just mark this one down. Is it in there? Okay, thank you, Kara. First um, Timothy 6, 6 through 8. This is one of these I memorized a long time ago, and I have to quote it to myself all the time, okay? It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, again, needs. What are the needs? With these, we will be content. We will learn to be content. Or if you go to Matthew 6 and you see Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God, he's like, I know what you have need of before you ask. I know you need shelter. I mean, I know you need food. I know you need clothing. Just look out. I'm supplying these things for, for other creatures that are not even humans. If I can do that for them, I can do that for you as well. 
And in case you haven't made the connection yet of like being sacrificial in your giving and being content, if you're not seeing how those two merge together, listen to this. As we become content with what we have, as we become content with just less and having our needs met, as we are simply satisfied in Christ and in Him meeting our needs, we'll probably need less stuff, which provides more opportunities for us to be able to give to the kingdom. That's where we're going. That's what I'm seeing in this passage. That's kind of like the crux of what I think Paul is saying. Like, I've learned this. I've learned to be content no matter what. I love the fact that you guys care for me and that you're showing your kindness by giving to me, but it's not the gift that I'm excited about. I'm excited about the fruit that I see in your life. Um, ah, this is just an add-on. I'm going to throw it in, in, in you know, in, in anyway. But like the other night, Casey was texting me and he was having some Bible questions and he's like, hey, can you explain like, I think it was like Mark 3, 18 through 20 or something like that. And I'm like, ch Great. He's given me like one of the toughest passages in all of scripture, you know, and we start this little dialogue and, and then like at the end of it, he's like, hey, here's like a struggle that I have. Here's how you can pray with me. And I just sat there and just had tears in my eyes. And I was look at this. Jesus is already being formed in this guy. I'm already seeing fruit of someone who's receiving the gospel. And that's what Paul's saying in this passage. He's saying it's not the gift. It's just the fact that you're starting to get it. You're getting it. The gospel is amazing. God bankrupted heaven because he loves us and he sent his son to die for us. He's given us purpose. That's why he didn't take us home. And our purpose is to be the aroma of Christ, to be ambassadors in this world as though he's making his appeal through us. And as you do that, you cannot do that when you're trying to hold on to the world with both hands. There's going to be a struggle and there's going to be just an angst that's there. And at some point in time, you're going to have to decide who is Lord and what are you really clinging to? What is bringing you satisfaction and contentment in your life? And Paul's like, Christ and Christ alone. And that's what he desires for us as well. Contentment. Man, it's just a powerful word, isn't it? We're, we're Americans. We're not content with anything. You know, we always want more, more, and more. But if we have food and clothing, those basics, and if we go back to Matthew 6 when Jesus says, I know what your needs are before you even ask, and we can just learn to rejoice in that and to rejoice in Him and to give thanks no matter what, and if we can go back like we did a couple weeks ago and said, what are the things in the Lord that we can and should be rejoicing in? The Lord's going to form Himself in our lives. And at some point in time, we're going to be able to say, you know what? I'm content. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul's you know, just denying that there's anything or anyone else that can bring satisfaction and strength to Him. No, His source of strength is in Christ and Christ alone. You know, and I've said it many times, I'll say it many more times, the glory of the gospel is not just the fact that your sins can be forgiven, but that's amazing. And it's not just the fact that because as we believe Christ, death no longer has reign over us, and we actually have, present tense, eternal life, even though that's amazing. It's the fact that holy God 
loves us and has relationship with unholy Jerry and is slowly forming himself in my life and changing me. And as he does so, he can become my source of contentment and he can become my source of strength. That's the magic of the gospel. It's the magic of the gospel. I think it was in you know, Philippians 2 that we talked about. You know, God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. It is God in you. He's working in you. Who's working in me? The God of the universe, the creator of all that's being created. You've been crucified with Christ. You don't live anymore. You gave up that right. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when that transaction begins to take place and we step away and he steps in and he begins to change our hearts and change our minds and he begins to form himself in our lives and we can look, or not only we can look, but other people can look at us and say, man, I know that, you know, fill in the blank is, you know, used to be whatever, but Golly, I look at what God's done in his and her life. I'll say this, he or she is one of the kindest people that I know and terribly generous. I mean, just generous. Is willing to give the shirt off his or her back. It's amazing. That's what Christ does in us. Now, Preston Darling may not like this, but Steph Curry, who he emulates with his three-point shooting, has on his shoe, I can do all things. That's different. Sorry, Preston, it's different. So I like I dug into that. I'm like, why didn't you put I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? And as I would continue to read and just, I'm not picking on Steph this morning, but I want to show you the difference here. You know, Steph was saying that I can do all things, quoting him, it motivates me and it drives me to succeed because I can do all things has the focus on what I can do. And that person or other people may think, oh, well, you're like bringing Scripture and you know, you're, you're being a light for Christ in this moment. But if you want to do that, go all in. Speak the name of Jesus, but don't put the focus on yourself. I can do all things means I can succeed. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. And Ephesians 2 says, nope, I was dead in sins. Romans 7 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, dwells in me, that is in my flesh. And then he says, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I'm a mess, Paul says. And we say, and he says, Who shall deliver me from this? And the answer is in the next verse. He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will rescue me? Is it me? Gosh, no. No way. My rescuing comes through Jesus Christ. Who will strengthen me? Which is what this passage is saying. Is it going to be me? No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which leads to aspiration number three. Our final aspiration of the day. That each follower, Jesus follower, at Redstone Church Elizabeth would learn, remember there's a key word, Learn to be content and satisfied in Christ alone and would look to Him moment by moment as our source of strength. 
That's what we aspire to. These aspirations have not been met. Not everyone who attends this church gives regularly. Some do. Some are systematic, and they do give generously and regularly. There are some that have given for the first time, but they haven't fully trusted the Lord in their giving. And what I'm suggesting is that our walk with Jesus and our generosity and willing to give up stuff and money for the kingdom, they go hand in hand. They do go hand in hand. I told you aspiration number four is in where your worship guide, but if I go down that trail, I'll talk too long. So it's just there as a bonus. And if you're watching from home, I apologize. Text me or call me. Okay, everything that we've looked at in this passage has as its, as its foundation the gospel itself. So kindness has as its foundation the God who is love and who is full of kindness. Sacrificial generosity springs from gospel understanding where we understand that God emptied heaven by sending His Son and where Jesus willingly and sacrificially gives of Himself on behalf of other people. And John 4 has this great exchange between him and the woman at the well. And you can go read the passage. And afterwards, the disciples come back and they're like, Lord, aren't you hungry? He's like, you know, I've already eaten. And they're like, where did you get food from? He says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. He's saying, I'm just content on being obedient. And when we can get to the place where we can truly be content with what really matters, that'll be a good place for us. I closed with this one passage, and I'm not going to read the passage to you. I encourage you to go read it yourself, but it's in Luke 18, 18 and following. So maybe make a note. You can go back and look at it later. Luke 18, 18 and following. I'll tell a little bit about it. Jesus tells a story of a wealthy ruler. So wealthy is important to understand. So this guy has stuff. He has wealth. A wealthy ruler comes to him and asks this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I must say this, we understand that the point of the commandments is to show us that we can't keep them to point us to Christ. So Jesus is not saying, oh, just go keep the commandments and you're good. What he's trying to do is reveal the person's heart. Okay, so having said that, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life to Jesus? So Jesus knows his heart and he simply says, well, you know the commandments. And he starts quoting the commandments. And the guy's response is, Oh, if that's all I have to do to inherit eternal life, then I'm pretty good. And it says, because I've kept the commandments since my youth. And Jesus says, okay, then one more thing. One thing you lack is what he says. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And what did the man do when he said that? He puts his tail between his legs. He puts his head down. And he walks away and he's really, really sad because he had wealth. So he had just said to the Lord, oh, the commandments. Yeah, I mean, I've loved the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And I've loved my neighbor as myself. And Jesus is like, great, then this should be easy for you then. Then just go sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. That will show what your love for God really looks like. And that'll show whether you really care about Remember Philippians 2, 3, whether you consider the needs of other people more important than your own, that'll show that, so just go do that. And he's like, gosh, 
Why do you have to make it so hard? And all Jesus is doing is exposing that man's heart. He was revealing his heart, and he was revealing a struggle that that person may not have even known was there. So this morning, if this talk about giving, you know, collective giving as a body or individual giving or generosity or being content has you putting your tail between your legs and your head down, I would encourage you to also ask this big question of why? Why? Why am I so uneasy with this conversation right now? Some of the other stuff about prayer and rejoicing was easier, but this one, you've just touched a a nerve inside of me. Okay, if that's happening to you, because I know what that feels like, happens all the time as the Lord is trying to conform me into the image of His Son, the question to ask is why? And take that why before the Lord. What is He trying to show you? And what is He trying to show me? This is a part of the whole counsel of God. If we're going to be Jesus followers, it will show in the way that we do community with one another, the way that we love with one another, the way that we weep with one another and we rejoice in one another, but it's also going to show with what we do with our stuff. Even the fact that we're meeting at the Boys and Girls Club instead of purchasing land and building a building, that was very strategic. We desire that. We like that. We want to be a church that whether COVID hits or whatever happens, that we, gosh, we can go over to Doe River. We can go meet in somebody's barn. It doesn't matter because the church is the people, not the building. Understand that? And the more we can like, have monies available to give to the kingdom instead of the building, then we like that. So that's actually very strategic. And that's great to hear, you know, from, from the pulpit about here's where we're going as a church. But when it hits you individually and we say, but you're a part of that. And Jesus wants to form himself in your heart as well so that you too would show your kindness by being generous and that you would actually learn to just be content in what He's done in your life and in the daily needs that He mets in your life, well, that can be a little bit harder. Which is why we underscore the fact that Christianity is supernatural. I can't do all things. I can only do all things through Christ who changes me and reveals Himself to me and strengthens me. So we're going to enter a time of prayer. Um, but before we pray, if you're sitting here this morning and if you're saying, none of this makes sense to me at all, but the reason that it doesn't make sense is because I'm actually not following Jesus, well, then of course. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. If you're a, an unbeliever, the things of God make no sense to you. So understand that you know, firstly, you must come to understand who Jesus is. Today's the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So if you're, if you're here today and you're like, I've been in church all my life, or maybe I'm new to church, but I don't know that I fully understand the gospel or what following Jesus looks like, just come to me. We'll sit down. We'll talk that through. Because you need to understand Christ before you can understand the things of Christ. Okay? Let's pray together.
Oh, Father, as we enter into this time of prayer and just being still before you, um, Lord, honestly, there are some sermons that I get excited about, and there are some that I dread a little bit, and this was one of the dreaded ones because it's a tough subject. Lord, but change our hearts. Forgive me and forgive us for wanting and thinking that we need more, more, more. Teach us to be thankful for what we do have. Teach us day by day to be content. And as you do, give us the faith to be generous as well. Father, as we finish this series and wrap up our study of chapter 4, let us as a church body at Redstone Church Elizabethan be a people who will truly stand firm in the Lord by reconciling with other believers and rejoicing in the Lord always, renewing our minds regularly to the truths of your word and the magnitude of the gospel, and help us to also, as we've talked about today, revive others by living a life of contentment. We need that. And generosity as we look to Christ and Christ alone for our source of strength and satisfaction. Lord, have your way in our hearts and in our lives. And if there is an uncomfortableness that's there, I pray that we would be honest with you and ask you why. What is it that you're trying to show me? Where do I need to change? I'm just going to be still for a moment just to allow you to pray to God yourself and for you to hear what He might be saying to you. And then we'll open it up.